everybody. Welcome back. Dude, I love that lead-in. That's a it's sweet lead-in. Awesome. Welcome came in back. right at the perfect time, it too. It did. It did. Welcome back to another episode of Sweat and Grime. You have got Matt motherfucking Totten here What's in the studio. Up, and you've got myself. And unfortunately, that is it because we are still in the peak of the season playing musical chairs here. And Rick is unfortunately unable to we join us. fucking busy. Uh, yeah, we've got jobs popping off left and right. And uh, and so Rick is shuffling a semi this evening instead of joining us for podcasting. But on the phones, I'm actually going to let Matt introduce him because I got zero prep time on this one. <laughs> yeah, we've been just running rampant. But we got it on the phones. Uh, a good buddy, uh, Kalen Wilkins. So he's from New Mexico, and uh, how you doing tonight? Doing good, yes, sir. Excellent. <laughs> yes, and in the fake applause. Yes, you, you got it. <laughs> we got a fucking crowd and audience out here. Absolutely, tonight, so. we uh, we I mean, he really drew in the crowd this evening. <laughs> Oh, that's I have that effect. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. Right. So it's Callen, Kalen, Kalen. Okay. Long I'm gonna day. I'm gonna fuck that up at least three times this evening, and so I'm just gonna pre-apologize here. You um, won't be the first one or the last one today to fuck up my name. So. You know what? As long as that is your attitude, we're all good here. It's it's the Absolutely. people that get really offended that we right? have problems with. So, uh, so give us a little backstory yeah. on who the fuck are you? Yeah, who so are you? And what what do you even do in life? So out here in New Mexico, it's uh you know the wild west. There's not a whole lot. Pretty pretty much rural areas. I mean. We have Albuquerque, but it's a shithole. It's a big city. Most people have heard of it. <laughs> yep. Um, if you don't work in the oil field, you pretty much work fast food or at Home Depot. So, is that where they have Burning Man? Is that New Mexico or where is that at? Is that Vegas? Is, is it is it Utah or or Nevada? Maybe it's Nevada. Nevada. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I tried to have something that you could at least throw your hat behind, but fuck it. Man, New I, Mexico sucks ass. Burning Man. I thought they don't do that no more. Oh What's yeah, they burning? do. I think they just did yeah. one last this like past year, didn't they? Like yeah, within the last month or so. You know oh, what? Okay. You're just not hanging with the right crowd, Kalen. Yeah, that's not my style. No, you don't like no. you don't you like know? tripping on acid and Molly and all that stuff it, yeah. and uh, grooving with some hula hoops. <laughs> No, I've never never been to a rave. We're 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 pretty country out here. Let, let, let's be honest. Again, we're in the happy safe. Yeah, we're, in the nest. we're in the nest. We're in the safe nest. Have you ever worn a tutu? I actually have. I'm oh, a we got a winner, baby! <laughs> Swing and didn't miss. Now that's just hitting. <laughs> so I think it was a Halloween costume or a joke or. Maybe after too many beers on Halloween or something, I may. You I'm know what? Put on the wife's too. skirt. You know what, Kalen? Everyone has a hard time remembering after the Molly wears off. Yeah. Yeah. But it was one hell of a good time. That's right. So, what are you yeah. doing out there in New Mexico? What's your What's your life look like? Well, my day my daytime get up is oil filled, of course, and you know that's can be long days. It's daylight to dark a lot of times, and then. Uh, that's what pays the bills. I live on a farm, so we, that's, you know, most, I don't, I don't know if we can call it a farm because most farms make money. Seems like mine just costs <laughs> me money. money. Always, <laughs> yeah. I haven't figured out how to make money. But so we you're farming dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He has a happy mine wife. Is, <laughs> yeah. My farm is a, is a nonprofit. That's for sure. Um, actually about, about 30 minutes before we jumped on this call, I was artificially inseminating a pig. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, my God, that really no, took a twist no, there. No, no, go into detail with us. You, no. you did throw me for a curveball, and I expect curveballs on this program. 
<laughs> yeah. So how how deep in that pig were you? <laughs> well, my my tool, which is hilarious, it's a straw. But I mean, I guess if you've ever seen a pig dick, it's it's uh, corkscrewed. So it's it's got a plastic corkscrew on the end of it. And you go in there about about sixteen inches, and you got to screw shit. it in. My God, man. Yeah, I can never reach that deep. <laughs> I'm going to take the back seat to that one. That's what she said. <laughs> I'd have to, yeah, I'd have to go, let's see, three, six, nine. Yeah, I'd have to go four or five times and yeah. get six. <laughs> My goodness. Oh, boy. So so when do you find out if the fruits of your labor paid off? So a pig will go into heat every 21 days. So you don't really know until she goes into heat again 21 days from today, then you didn't missed. work, you know. And you got to get back yeah. after it. Huh? Your, your aim yeah. wasn't true. Yep. Yep. You gotta hit <laughs> now, it are these, yeah. these going to be pets or are you guys going to be selling them and trying to make it into a profitable farm? We we try to make a profit. It never happens. But yeah, we sell them as, uh, you know, show pigs, butcher pigs. Just uh, we, we buy and breed ge- good genetic pigs for show, but, you know, not, not every pig is show worthy. So those get, you know, weeded off to. Gotcha. Do you have your kids doing like four, four, four H and all that stuff? Yeah. So my daughter does four H pigs. Uh, we, we raise cows. We've got some shaggy miniature Highland cows. I just saw that. dude. Those are the super, super hairy ones. They almost look like a yak. Yeah. Yeah, Those are badass. Yeah. I don't know how they don't just walk into shit because you can't (laughs) see their eyeballs. I mean, they, they're covered up. That's awesome. So, so that's kind of, that's, oh, that's go ahead. the weekends. And, yeah. All right. All right. So like in and a then, day-to-day, like operations of being an oil field tech or what, what is your title as what you do for a living? So my title is production lead and that's just kind of. Oh, top so red, top roughneck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a. Just when you're there a really long time, they're like, "We gotta, we gotta call this guy something." Quit whining. <laughs> give, yeah, give before he leaves, so he'll shut up. You know. <laughs> but, so, uh, so what do you do on a daily basis? Hang on, before we go any oh. further, Kalen, we are starting yes, to get sir. some echo from the speakerphone, so I think you will have to take us off speakerphone. Okay, let's let's give that a whirl. It's gonna be like perfectly crystal clear, like he's sitting right. here in the studio. Oh, perfect. Oh, oh, man. Boy, it's nice to have you here in studio, Kelly. What's up, man? That was quick. Oh, good. Boy, you went from being a roughneck to like, I feel like you're sitting over there in a bow tie now. (laughs) Just a flick of a button. That's how easy it is these days. (laughs) Nice. So what does, what what is, well, first of all, let's even back up before that. How did you get into the oil industry? Well, so that's kind of an easy story. Around here, there's really nothing else. I mean, if you're you got you got a couple options. If you want to make some money, you go to the oil field. If you want to just kind of live a pretty easy going life and and not make as much money, you go to Home Depot. Like there's those are your small options. Town, there's there's no industries like we're not building cars and there's no factories. You know, I know back east there's a lot of manufacturers of all kinds of stuff. Yep. We don't have that here. Gotcha. It's, it's mostly oil fields. So right out of high school, it's like I'm. I'm not going to go to college. I was way too stupid for any of that. <laughs> and you just kind of get into entry level. I mean, it's pretty much grunt work in the oil field. There's a million different things you can do. And you just kind of jump into something that they're going to hire a young dude out of college or out of high school and work your way up from there. And you can work your way into different departments. I mean, you've got, so oil field is to break it down kind of in three steps. There's upstream, midstream, and downstream. 
Okay. Well, I what I do is the upstream stuff. That's where we extract the oil and gas out of the ground, put the the gas into a pipeline, and send it downstream. And midstream is kind of where they gather gas in bulk from a lot of different areas. I mean, you're talking our fields probably 100 miles square. Oh wow! Damn. And then they they boost it to the downstream. Um, so midstream is kind of your pipeline stuff okay. and some of your gathering stations. And then it goes to the downstream, which is more of like your gas plants. That's where, that's where all the natural gas is collected at big, big plants. And they extract propanes and butanes and ethanes. And then they strip, strip all the liquids and all the ethanes and butanes and every other kind of ain you can talk, you know, that there is. And then the dry gas <clears throat> goes to your house. Right. It's, you know, and that's what we burn in houses and anywhere else that you would use natural gas, but around here it's mostly. So mostly are, is the refinery outfit technically on the downstream side, or is that kind of where you cross over into oil production and, and it kind of moves into a different channel? No, refining is pretty much kind of the last steps. That's where they collect, you know, the liquids, the, the liquids that fall out of the natural gas. So right. natural gas, when you blow it to atmosphere, it may look dry. You can't see it. But uh, in reality, there is a lot of liquids in it. So they'll, and I don't know all the science on the downstream stuff, but they'll freeze gas to like negative 200 degrees. And that's how your propane falls out. And then they'll heat it up to X amount of degrees, and that's how you know I'll get this wrong. Somebody will call me out on it, but that's <laughs> right. how butane is, is is falling out. And then uh, the hydrocarbons, which we collect at surface on the upstream side, those go to your like your oil refineries, and that's where the crude oil gets met, uh, refined into gasoline and diesel and and your and those kind of liquids. Interesting. So if I'm understanding this correctly. Natural gas out of the ground is like a fart in your mid thirties where it should be dry. It seems dry, but there is a little moisture there. Yeah, absolutely. Even to the point. Check so, it every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. So everything, you know, you got a pipe in the ground, it's going, you know, three to 8,000 foot deep. There's different formations we produce out of and you get a lot of liquid. So you get crude oil, <clears throat> you get water and you get natural gas. They all come out of the pipe together. So at surface, you know, that's what I'm, I'm doing is, and you're, you're separating all that. So the oil floats on top of the water. It goes through a separator. We won't get into the specifics, but the oil dumps into its tank and that tanks all oil mm -hmm. and a truck will come get it, take it to the, the oil refinery. The water gets separated to a different tank and trucks will come get that and take it to an injection site where they put it back in the ground. Okay. They inject it back to the ground. Well, then the natural gas hits the pipeline and goes to the, the gas plants. And even though it's like dry gas, it's really not, there's a lot of water, you know, liquid molecules yep. in it. Sure. And when they freeze it to minus 200 degrees, all of a sudden, bam. Yeah. It all drops out. Yeah, they you still drop out a lot. They call it NGLs, natural gas liquids. Interesting. I, I will say the the way we have figured out how to suck. I'm that, sitting there like, how did we figure this dude, out that, in the first place? Well, and that's yeah. just kind of the natural gas side. Yeah. When you start getting into into like oil production and diesel production and all that stuff, like you're starting to actually physically crack the hard hydrocarbon chains by putting them in these boilers that put it up to insane temperatures yeah. and. It is nutty the technology, and what, and that's ultimately what I was about to say is like, it is crazy how we figured out how to pump this black shit out of the ground, and then turn it into 
1,800 different yeah. products yeah. that are used in all these different applications. It's nuts. Yeah, plastics. I mean, it tires, rubber, everything's got, uh, you know, hydro comes from hydrocarbons at some point. Yeah. And uh, a lot of it was probably super smart scientists looking under microscopes and this, that, and the other. And if a lot this, of it was probably by accident. I was, you know, they tried. <laughs> Fuck, that just I blew was, up. <laughs> well, I was just about to say, a lot of that probably isn't even, you know, on, on the back end with the chemistry, sure. But I feel like a lot of this stuff with the separators and everything is probably a bunch of guys redneck engineering in the field. And then yep. the scientists come along and go, oh, yeah, if we do this a little more efficiently, we can, you know, get more. Extract this yeah, and do exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows? In the 50s or whatever, when they were. Well, maybe even before that, but uh, maybe something went wrong and the gas got really, really hot and some liquid fell out. And they're like, oh, what is that stuff? And let's, let's, let's play with it. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say, so I was out in, in San Francisco last week filming for Chevron, ironically, giant oil company. And okay, yeah. on my way back, I flew over your general neck of the woods. And, you know, I'm one of those guys. I look out the plane oh, window. Yeah and enjoy sure. all the sights. It mm-hmm. is nutty. And I guess my brain has never really grasped the scale of the oil fields and the production that's going on out in, out there. It was, it was probably at least an hour and a half of my flight. Just seeing shiny but, objects. No, in the it, wasn't, of it wasn't even that it was the landscape literally looks like it has chicken pox, except yeah. there's all these tiny little roads between them. Yep. And it is for hundreds of miles it's as far as you can see in every oh, yeah. direction from the plane i'm at thirty six thousand feet yep and it's as far as i can see in every direction and it's all the individual pump jacks and then the 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 collecting stations where they all yep. kind of you bring it together it is freaking nuts when you think about the logistics that goes into it and that's just one, one little area. area of our country yeah. let alone you think about it out on the global scale it's nuts it's amazing it is it's unbelievable i mean if you could just suck the top four foot you know six foot of dirt off the earth in our area just look like a spaghetti bowl of piping oh yeah, I bet. Oh, yeah. yeah so that's yeah, it's huge so what is your actual role now what do you do on a day-to-day basis so I still, I do quite a few things. Um, I oversee, um, a lot of the crew work, you know, and so you have operators that they kind of, we call it a run. So this operator, let's say Matt, he takes care of these same 80 wells every day. So he has to look on the computer and see which ones aren't producing and then go to them and figure out why they're not producing. And if it's something he can fix real quick, why is there great gets gas back in the pipeline. Yep. Some problems are much more major and they take, um, crew work, you know, he- you know, machinery Bombs equipment or, yeah. and welders and, and stuff. And, uh, so one of my duties is to oversee the bigger, um, overhauls Issues. and, and crews that are, that are building locations or re rebuilding, revamping kind of the bigger, the bigger stuff. Right. And, you know, we're not doing that 24 hours a day. So when I'm not doing that, I'm just, I'm helping the, the operators it's kind of an experience thing. I mean, I've been doing it a long time. So an operator will call and be like, man, I'm just, I don't understand this thing won't flow. This piece doesn't open. This you one won't flow, whatever the case might That's be. Right. And so it's I go over there and help them yeah, yeah, put some duct tape on it and be like, here you go, man. Um, so I mentor a lot of guys. I oversee crews. A lot of the wells, we have to have third-party companies come out and, and, you know, put a rig on, on the well to fix it because right. you have downhole problems. You know, the, the formation has collapsed or there's equipment. There's a lot of different ways to get gas out. Some there's 
plunger lift, which is artificial lift. There's pump jacks like you were talking. Jet pumps, there's a bunch of different ways to, to extract the gas. And uh, when those systems fail, there's people out there to fix them. When they can't fix it, they call me and, you know, so on and so forth. So in your area, are you guys still actively drilling or is it something where you guys have pretty well tapped out the formation now it's just extraction a and keeping them going both. mostly the basin has been drilled our basin is unique because you know you hear about the permian and, and north dakota that's all really new they've discovered it up there and it's just drilling wells like crazy mm-hmm. our stuff here in new mexico has been been since the 50s so most of it is maintaining what we already have there is a few companies in town that are still drilling a few wells. Um, what's getting more popular that is now the horizontal drilling. So these companies, it's kind of, there's been a lot of failure involved and now they're getting it figured out. So now we're doing, there is a few drilling rigs in our town, um, in our area, we call it the basin it's San Juan basin. But, uh, so now they'll drill straight down like 8,000 feet, tap into that, formation and then 90 somehow it's crazy how they do it right weights counterweights on their drill bit where that'll kick them out horizontally and they'll go out whatever another eight or ten thousand feet to where you're just you're in that formation for a long time and and those wells are coming on really strong it's always funny how like you buy property and you have no rights to the minerals underneath but then all of a sudden this oil company comes and buys property 10 you know acres away and they're not pumping there. They just bought that property to drill under you going straight down and they're sucking you dry underneath you. Yeah. And <laughs> Boy, I got to catch that clean. Sucking you dry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And here's another thing that, you know, pisses a lot of people They'll off. Go through aquifers own, and stuff like that. And you might own 20 acres out there and you know, that's your favorite little 20 acre place. You got your hunting cabin on it. If you don't own the mineral rights, mm-hmm. the oil companies can come drill a well on your 20 acres and you can't stop them. They wow. own what's under the ground. So there's going to be a drilling rig in your driveway, um, drilling a well. And then now you're going to have tanks and a wellhead and a pump jack. And you got to look at it every day. And, Boy, and, uh, I had no idea. I was like, I was always under the impression, like Matt said, if you didn't own the mineral rights, they weren't going to come on your land, but they'll tap in underneath. I didn't realize that gave them. What the fuck? That's yeah, that's fucked up, big brother. That's that's oh, oil yeah. money, baby. Yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, the oil companies are just assholes. We do get a bad rap. We're dirty. We're out there polluting the world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's not like that. They're not gonna. I kind of you know exaggerate a little. They're not gonna drill it in your driveway. Yeah. But if you own a thousand acres, you well, there's a lot of ranches out here where I'm at that you know are a thousand to ten thousand acres, and they might have several hundred wells on there, and and you don't own, you don't get any royalties if you don't own the mineral rights. You get surface damages. They got to pay you, you know, for the acre of land. They put they it back those. together after they're done sucking it dry. Boy, you really, yeah, like that. boy, yeah. you are all about it. <laughs> <laughs> what you got you on your brain like tonight, man? <laughs> well, <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how do they have any idea roughly when they're going to run out of? of oil in your particular formation you know people and um reservoir engineers they've been trying to predict that you'll hear you'll hear some some big shot talk about we've got another 30 years of oil production in uh in our area and then bam they'll discover a whole nother reserve that's 
at, in a, at a different depth. And yep. So there's no way. I mean, every time they, they think they figured it out, they discover something else. Technology is only getting better. Seismic graphing is only yeah. getting um, more, you know, it's getting better. That seismic graphing is freaking so nuts. Cool. Have you seen so, how yeah. they do it? Yep. It's it's basically too bad Rick is isn't here because he would get such a charge out of it. It's basically an entire truck that is a Hitachi vibrator. Just that's it. And they they have this big old plate that lowers down and they vibrate the shit out of it and they'll they'll do back yeah they'll do at least three trucks and they're able to triangulate the the formation basically off of the waves of the bounce yeah it's fucking nuts the science that goes into this it is pretty it is crazy and there's a lot of a lot of great people in the industry, a lot of smart people. Like I said, we do get a bad rap, um, but it's only gas. So it's like the, the most valuable mineral we have, you know, I mean, you, you shut, you shut oil and gas off. The, the whole world shuts off. Oh, the off. world shuts down, man. You're, well, you're going in electric chaos. Though, bro. When are you guys going to start extracting electric out of the ground? Yeah. <laughs> Kaylin, yeah, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> So were you ever involved? Uh, I mean, I guess, were you ever a full-on rough, roughneck on the drilling side or were you always on the production side? I've always been on the production side. It just worked it worked out that way. I was never, I think the rigs are cool. They interest me. I go, when we have a rig, I go out there and check it out and climb around and ask questions. Like, uh, I really think it's cool. Yeah. Do the cool roughnecks. Gig, but uh, just kind of, I don't know, the first job I got into out of high school was on natural gas compression. And just as a mechanic, and I always seen the operators driving around checking wells, and they'd call me when they couldn't get the compressor running. I'm like, man, I want to do what that guy's doing. His job seems way better than mine. So right. I transitioned to just a production operator, and it's, I mean, it's a good deal. I never come home from work thinking, God, I hate my job. I mean, I get Dude, you the scenery you get to see all day. The scenery, fucking I mean, New Mexico, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah, hills, bears. I mean, you find elkhorns laying on location. You see bobcats. I mean, mountain lions cross the road. It's you're just out in God's country, yeah, working every day. And some days it sucks. You might be out there, and the wind is blowing the snow sideways, and it's minus five degrees. But I mean, you get a sense of accomplishment. Most everything in the oil fields really gratifying. You know, you're you're building stuff. You're accomplishing. You're energizing the world. You get to go home and and have that. You yeah. Know? So. Well, I guess I'll just I'll just outright ask you: Do the roughnecks think you guys are the bitches? No, you know it's so. Uh, there was a lot of hesitation there. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. Only I only say that because there's not a roughneck on here, <laughs> right? right. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could look at however you could rank it out to uh, who's got the good job and mm-hmm. and who's got the shitty job. I mean, the roughnecks they. They kind of got it pretty tough. Those are some hard working yeah, dudes. Yeah, that's yeah. a rough and, uh, job. Although safety's come what a long you way. Want to do your whole life. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, if there was the totem pole, there, you know, there's as val- That's kind of the thing with oil and gas. There's so much different stuff, but every guy is as valuable as the other. Sure. Because well without said, the roughnecks, yeah. you're not going to get a, a well drilled. Yeah. Without the operator, you're not going to have the well produced. Without the the roustabout companies, you're not going to have a location built. Like, there's just a lot. A lot of There's a lot that goes lot into it. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. it is interesting talking about natural gas compression. Uh, my great grandfather worked <laughs> for Lone Star Gas here in North Texas, and his job was monitoring. We're in nat- Michigan, though. 
You're oh, that's right, that's yeah, right. I forget. Not, we're not here. In I North am originally Texas. from Texas, <laughs> and in North Texas, uh, he was working at one of those plants, and he they used a old submarine, a World War II submarine engine, and that was driving the compressor. And his job was to to monitor it. And between that and his days in in the military mm-hmm. as a belly gunner and one of the old bombers, he had no hearing whatsoever. Oh, I bet. It was oh, well, unbelievable yeah. how loud those things were. So I still remember driving well, around with them and seeing backhoes in the oil field. I thought it was cool shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the industry has changed. You know, I mean, from when he was out there, it was probably no hearing protection. You did whatever you had to do to get the, the job done. Yep. Exactly. And now, you know, OSHA and everything's involved. So we, you know, we have to wear PPE and they want to protect your hearing. I mean, a lot of the stuff we work on is noisy. So, yeah. Um, those were the real guys. I mean, them like that era that you're talking about. Them dudes were badass. They're yeah, you guys got to wear like the flame retardant like outfits every day, don't you? You can't use that word. Yeah, anymore, and luckily, <laughs> luckily that's improved a little bit. Our outfits are now just like you know jeans and pretty nice shirts that have fire retardant clothing. But right. for years it they was like so these stupid uncomfortable. <laughs> that gear. Yeah, now they're normal. I mean, I wear yeah. my FR my FR jeans. I mean, they look as good as stuff you go buy at the, the buckle or whatever. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for years it was jumpsuits. It was it was blue or or brown overalls, and yeah. they were miserable, yeah. stiff as cardboard. You know, I was about to say that's what he was always in is those blue coveralls, yep. and and yeah. it was always the same every day. So, um, so what is the most dangerous thing you encounter on your side of the business? Just that everything is flat. Well, so navigating our roads if you've ever been out here it is very rugged terrain so driving on these slick muddy roads down these canyons i mean if you if you slide off the road you could you could roll all the way to the bottom driving's pretty pretty rowdy out here yep but really truly i mean just everything you touch everything you're involved with every single day has a lot of pressure of very flammable um either liquid or gas so you're pretty much dealing with giant bombs every second of every day yeah Any, anything that could go wrong you know if the stars line up and you have a release and static you know we have we try to ground and bond everything we can to prevent static but it's never perfect and you know if static ignites at about the same time you've got gas blowing or or crude oil in a tank i mean you're just dealing with big big bombs every yeah. single day now have you guys had any hiccups like that in your uh your time would you call a giant bomb going off a hiccup <laughs> a big hiccup. perhaps a job site accident yes have you had many job site accidents yeah, there, is a, there is a lot of safety stuff put in in place so if yeah. you have if you do have a vessel that over pressures we have relief valves that that allows that pressure to go somewhere rather than explode the vessel yeah uh, but yeah we've absolutely had had fires and you know, if a vessel, a relief valve does go off and, you know, lightning strikes nearby, now you got a relief valve sitting there burning like a giant candle. You got to go, go deal with once Damn. in a while. You'll, um, you hear, I haven't been on a site that's had a tank blow the top off, but it has happened. You know, lightning will, might hit a tank and, and the tank's full of pretty much gasoline. Yeah. So it's very it, flammable. <laughs> yeah. Luckily there's a lot of people that you got to be smart. You can't be an idiot out there. Yeah. We don't get a lot of people hurt very bad. Of course we're men in a rough industry. You're going to get bumps and bruises and cuts and sure. back aches and everything else. But 
we do pretty good about not not killing folks or or burning them real bad but yeah absolutely Fire just little is, burns yeah <laughs> little burns are acceptable yeah exactly quit being a quit yeah. being a pansy when you do have an incident you've got a, just a whole the whole company just teams of people investigating like how can oh, we oh i'd imagine you got a pile of paperwork yeah. and yeah yeah so that's good so outside of the oil industry, what else are you doing in life? Or is farming pretty much taking up all of your yeah, free what time? What other hobbies do you have? Man, we could uh, you could write a book on me, I think. I mean, I'd, I'd play music, guitar, drums. That's whatever fun. Um, me and my son are big into motocross. We race dirt bikes. And then hunting has been a huge part of my life. Of course, everybody loves to hunt. And hunting turned into guiding and then guiding turned into being a full-blown outfitter and and run an outfitting business on private land we lease ten thousand acres of private land and we'll guide 20 to 25 elk hunters a year and wow about 10 10 to 15 deer hunters and uh and that that's pretty much from october to the end of december so now are you are you doing that full time during the season like you're shutting down from the oil fields or you bouncing back and forth still bouncing back and forth yeah so a hunt is five days so i'll just take vacation from work for five days go guide a hunt and then a couple weeks later go do it again a couple weeks later go do it again that's That's amazing yeah that's pretty incredible so when you guys are on these on these hunts are you guys camping do you have cabins kind of what's that what does that look like what what do you do on a hunt when you guide (laughs) kaylin oh you you jack with your hunters as much as possible (laughs) (laughs) and <laughs> matt will tell you <laughs> dude we, we had a, fuck, we had a really fucking cool blast people. that was that was the most amazing hunt you know didn't get anything but man just being out there for six days straight yeah just trekking through the the what, what do you call that that was a prairie or the flatlands weird it's low low country but a lot of timber you know it's not up in the high rocky mountains but uh, it's not out in the prairie so yeah, it was nuts. Like um, that one day we were out and we had a cougar or a mountain lion, you know, growling. Just I, oh I shit. still have that on my phone. Dude, I so do I. I, I showed a, one of my friends the other day. I'm like, dude, we were we were just out there, middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden we had this freaking mountain lion just like growling and screaming like hundred yards yeah. up the hill behind us. It was so yeah, she sketchy. Must've... She must have been in heat or something because she was squalling like crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> Poor Matt, he's sitting there looking at me like. Man, is this cool? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I, I would cool. poop myself. I believe I, even with guns, I'd poop myself. Like, holy shit, that's we, a big old cat. I just had my bow. That was it. Oh no, shit. Oh yeah, I would absolutely be pooping myself oh, a little bit. Awesome. So you guys, nine, go ahead. Nine out of ten times, they, they ain't gonna mess with you. Yeah. I mean, well, well I'm not worried about, about the nine like out of ten. <laughs> I'm worried about that one yeah, out of one ten. Yeah, <laughs> I have played the the odds of life, and I found in in. A lot of circumstances, I happen to be that one out of ten, except for when it comes to winning the lottery. (laughs) I know. How does that? Yeah. Exactly. How does that work? So you guys are you guys are actively where you camping uh, when you guys are out on these, or do you kind of trek from one central location? Okay. I'll let Kalen tell it. Yeah, and chime in, Mac. I mean, because we love to hear the feedback from the hunters because we do this every day, so it becomes monotonous, you know, to hear hear one of the hunters say, "Oh yeah, you know, this was cool or that sucked." I mean, by like all the, means, the but, living quarters uh, was amazing. Like the well, your is your grandma and grandpa are they still uh, around? Yeah, he's oh, uh, ninety one years old. I was gonna say he's got to be he's got to be getting up there. 
but yeah, yeah. like you get done hunting all day and man, this, you know, five course meal is made for oh, that's you. Awesome. You don't do any cooking. You don't do it. You just sit back and show up at the, the mess hall and eat yeah, and it's then kind of a- goof around, drink beer, have fun, and then go back out for, you know, the next day's hunt. Oh shit. Yeah. It was very well put yeah, together. So we- Matt, Matt put it well, like we kind of have home base and it's like family. It's almost like family. Hunting yeah. out there. You, know. Big, you know, some outfits have big high dollar fancy cabins, other hunt or, you know, camp out of wall tents. We, we got single wide trailer houses and, uh, you know, it's not five star hotel by any means, but it works. Yeah. It's beautiful. And, as long uh, as a cougar can't make it in there, I'd be all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it depends what kind of cougar, you know? Well, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So, but no, it's uh, bad. you guys have it made out there. It's it's beautiful, beautiful thing you got going out there. What, yeah, what, it's pretty. You want to cool. do a plug? I mean, you really, want to plug your as uh, outfit? We're really spoiled. Yeah, it's uh, Twins Outfitters um, out here in New Mexico. We've got Facebook and Instagram. We don't have a website, but it's just Twins T W I N S Outfitters. Heck yeah! Um, and pro- yeah I'm gonna give myself the next we- couple of years. I'm gonna be making it back out there. And actually, Absolutely. successfully We'd love to have, love to see you again. do an archery hunt. How many uh, how many miles will you guys cover in a day on a hunt? We're so being out, it's private land. So there's kind of two ways in the outfitting game. There's you know public land, private land. So public land's huge. You have millions of acres. You yep. can cover miles and miles. Where where private land, we're bound by fences. You got to stay on your your private lease and all sure. that. So so in the mornings on an elk hunt, we'll walk in and you'll to get from where we park to where you're, you know, turn, when the morning hunts over, it's probably, you know, two miles at, at the most, and then two miles back to the truck. So we may walk four miles in the morning. And then in the evenings, we'll set hunters out. We have food plots that we plant, winter wheat, and we got ponds and blinds overlooking the the, the ponds and the food plots. And, and it's pretty relaxed. A hunter can sit in there and chill and eat, you know, drink beer and eat Cheetos and wait for the elk to come into the food plots. Gotcha. And then. Same routine the next morning. We get up before daylight and walk in. And deer hunting's a little different. There's a lot of deer. They're resident. They're there year-round. So we, we pretty much drive the ranch roads for two or three hours in the morning, two or three hours in the evening. And just look at a lot of different deer, try to find the right one, get out spot and stock. We might go, you know, climb up a ridge, on a, get on a high point, sit for a while in glass, and a little bit of everything. But uh, where we're at, we're pretty lucky because it's not just balls to the wall, the stuff you see on TV where these guys are in Alaska just climbing these rugged yeah. mountains. It's not it's not like that. So you don't go drop tot in the woods somewhere and let him go for a week Dude, and so, hope he makes that, it? So it's yeah. really funny. Like the I think it was the last day, Hunter, or whatever. And we tie one on the night before, like really hard. <laughs> I wake up in the morning, there's no Kalen. <laughs> oh. And it was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go. And <laughs> I just like walked out and I, I went out in that that uh that drainage ditch or the uh, the, the washout, yeah. yeah, and <laughs> just walked and walked and walked for miles. And I came across this area that I remember we saw this big like seven by seven uh, mule deer. And sure enough, I I took a shot at it, and I I thought I hit it, but I I didn't. But right after that, 
this huge storm like came rolling across the flatlands over the freaking mountain range. And dude, I was sitting there like I was dodging freaking lightning bolts. It was the scariest shit ever. They're trying to find me. Really? Like, I'm just like in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, it was, it was pretty nice. Todd's just out there wandering around in the wilderness yeah. and you guys are trying to, to hold a professional hunt. Yeah. I, I, I told yeah. him, I'm like, no, just go relax, man. It was fun. It was, it was so enjoyable. That's awesome. So, yeah. He's like, man, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go sit it out. I said, man, you've never been in a New Mexico flat flash flood like it's no. gonna rain three inches in five minutes yeah. it's it's the it's gonna be bad it's rolling in he's like i'm good i'm good i'm like you're on your own <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're like just a high spot <laughs> we talked about where i'd be you know i'm gonna go from here and go to that point and you guys can pick me up over there and sure enough they did but man i almost died <laughs> yeah dude those scary yeah, those storms down there are no fucking joke and and, and yeah, like he said the bigger thing is the flash flooding that happens afterwards yeah like it's you'll you'll be 50 miles away from a storm and then out of nowhere a stream will just start flowing well, it and it turned into a full-fledged deep. river yeah. like just a flooded river and probably 20 minutes yeah it was nuts it's unbelievable how that ground works yeah. out there it does it's it rains so hard so fast and our our ground's real clay and real hard it doesn't soak in you know like yep. it would in like oklahoma or somewhere that's saturated all the time so it just hits so much at once it runs it just has to turn anything it can into a river whether yep. that's the road the bar ditch or the sand wash and them sand washes all there's a bunch of little sand washes that collect into big sand washes and Man, them things just roar. Well, they wipe out roads. People have died. You try crossing one in your truck. And I survived. Over. You know, yeah, what, yeah, is it, survived. what is it about people that makes them think, huh? <laughs> I could make it there's, through that. Yeah, there's two or three feet of water. I'll, I'll be fine. Like, <laughs> especially when it's not even like it's an infrequent occurrence. People are swept away. It's literally every, every I, yeah. again, I'm from Texas. Every fucking storm. There's more news. Oh yeah, four people were killed from trying to cross a little water crossings. Yep. What the fuck, guys? A lot, people, a lot of people have never like stood in a raging river. They don't and felt understand the force of water. water pressure on how. I mean, a slight current in a river is hard to walk across. I mean, much less roaring. You think you're in a big heavy truck? It's like oh, go I right through it. it. You know, no. Next thing you're in a big heavy boat. <laughs> I, and you know, I could kind of. <laughs> yeah. I can kind of see that as an excuse, except for the fact that, like I said, every fucking storm, we run the same news cycle of another idiot drowning because they tried it. And it's like, it's almost like there's a small part of the population that's, that's like a fly going towards a moth towards a flame. They're just like, no, I need to try it. I need to try this. (laughs) Full send. Uh, yeah, that happens a lot. You're right. I mean, people, we know the dangers. We've, we've all lived here our whole lives. We know, we know what's up. People still try it and they go for it. What gets some people is like you mentioned earlier, it's blue skies here. You're down there digging a hole, building a fort, playing army in the sand wash as a kid. You don't know that there's it a flash flooded 20 miles north of you and, yep. and yeah. here it's coming and there's nowhere to go. I mean, that, I've got videos of that stuff, you know, dry sand wash. And here comes the, the three foot wall of water around the corner. Now and that I can understand. Yeah, that I can totally understand. But it's those low water crossings that I'm just like, boy, that is, that's just thin in the herd right there. <laughs> it's natural selection. Yes, it is. That to is a finest. degree, that is natural that selection. Is so have you been in New Mexico your entire life? 
my entire life. I haven't always been in San Juan County. As a kid, we grew up in a little mountain town called Angel Fire, and it's, uh, I mean, it's way up there. It's 10 or 11. I think the ski area is 12,000 feet. Mm. Um, lots of snow, little, little ski resort type town, you know, and I think in like fifth grade, my family moved out here. A lot more work and stuff out here in, in the San Juan County. So well, I was going to ask what, what took you to what well, or what took your parents to that town and what were they doing for work? Um. Well, when you grow up in Angel Fire, there's not a lot. That's the name of the town is Angel Fire. There's not a lot to do, so you can't have multiple jobs. I mean, in the winter time, my dad would plow snow. He ran a snow plow. Summertime, he'd do locksmithing and. Um, my family kind of all had a logging company up there. So they'd, they'd log trees and timber in the, in the summertime. You just right. did a bunch of things to make ends meet. And it's like, all right, we can, we can go to the bigger town and, and get a job for, make the, more money for less work. So, yeah. so my dad come out here and, you know, he did several different things. He ended up starting a log smithing business and has owned and operated that for quite a few years, but is that still actively in business? Yeah, yeah, right. he's still doing good. Yeah. So, nice. did you have any family in the oil industry, or was that something you just kind of looked at and went, "Well, it's either this or Home Depot." <laughs> yeah, or the latter. So, I did have an <laughs> uncle. I had one uncle in the oil and gas business, and at that time, as a kid, he had he had moved on um, out of here before I was even kind of an adult. So, so he didn't have any influence on that. But I did have one one uncle that worked in the oil field, and really the way it worked out is I was a, a metal fabricator at at a and it was a great job. We built rock crawling jeeps, we built race cars, we built exhaust. We, I mean, anything tubular. We you're we you're also a circle track driver, aren't you? I used to. Yeah, I don't right. I don't race no more. But All yeah, right. I used to have a race car, circle dirt, dirt circle track, oval right. track, we call it. You know what? I just want to stop for a second because you you just took me back to the 1985 Ninja Turtles with the word tubular. And I know you didn't yeah. intend it that way, but by God, that was really, that was a nice I'm touch. To think back, I'm like, I didn't say that. Tubular. Kaylor, yeah. yeah. Tubular, tubular, dude. Like Michelangelo, baby. Heck yeah, he was my favorite. Hell um, yeah. I, I'm glad you caught that because I wouldn't have even thought about it. Oh man, I'm all about it. I'm time. all about, so that was one of the first things when I had, when I had my kids, I was like, can't wait until they're like, yeah, get that, get up into that five, six year old range. And I did, I went and downloaded off of the old internets, the old, uh, you remember, you remember shredder, obviously, but do you remember the brain? Oh yeah. I had totally (laughs) forgotten about brain. He's ugly. Dude, I was such a Ninja Turtle geek. I mean, I had the little action figures. You, then they started getting real I had the glow-in-the-dark PJs like, for years. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, absolutely. I had the underwear, everything. I mean, oh, yeah. It was, yeah, all <laughs> over my body. My socks, my underwear, all the way to the shirt. But I was, I was uh, Michelangelo for uh, Halloween, I think, in like third grade or something like that. I was Leonardo. Oh. All right. Yeah. So my mom took a trash can lid. That's spray yep. painted that baby up yep. green. That put some uh, suspenders around. Hell it, yeah! Know, I had the sweatpants yeah. and the yeah. Fuck yeah, man! Yeah. Man, we're bringing back the memories fuck now. Yeah. This is beautiful. Those are good old days when your parents like helped you make your costumes instead of now. It's like oh, let's just go to Halloween. So Amazon fucking spend fifty <laughs> bucks on a piece of shit. Piece right, of, exactly. Oh. That's gonna get thrown in the garbage I, right after. 
I always thought it was just because we're poor, but maybe that was just what you did back then. But yeah, uh, we, maybe we it was. It probably was. Yeah. We were poor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your kids, half of your kids' outfit is a trash can lid. So <laughs> right there, yeah. I think sums it up. <laughs> now it's crazy. They have Halloween stores that are like these 80,000 square foot warehouses. Oh, yeah. We have like probably or- 20 within like a. 10 minute radius you know of as, as like, soon as a Coles yeah. goes out of business Halloween Boom. USA is like yep. fuck yeah prime real estate <laughs> <laughs> they make 5 million dollars in a month and then just walk away dude it is nuts their yeah. business model is absolutely insane they do exactly that they open up all these locations make a shitload of cash and then they just fold up until next year yep that's yeah. short extended leases genius business model short, yeah genius so well, that was interesting. That was a nice little so interesting how, side. How look. is it on your guys' end in your field? Like, are you guys hurting for manpower? That's the struggle is, uh, yeah, nobody these days want to work. And, and a lot of the experienced guys have retired or moved on in their life or, or a lot of people chase the dollar. So you can, you can make decent money and have steady work here, or you can go to these boom towns, like, you know, boom states, I guess, Texas and, mm-hmm. and North Dakota and just make a ton of money. It's only going to last five years. Yeah. But a lot of the, a lot of the people have gone. So now, you know, when somebody quits or retires or something, that's hard to fill those shoes, backfill that position. It's, it's hard. So you guys actively searching for bodies all the time. Yeah. So realistically speaking, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to get hyper specific on your actual salary, but what is kind of a pay range someone could expect to make in the oil field on the operations side of it? Well, that's what makes it so attractive is because you can go into it with no college degree, no education. It's on the job training. They always need people. I mean, we have tens of thousands of wells. I mean, it takes a lot of manpower. So right out of high school, a guy can, you know, this day and age get signed on and, you know, start around 70,000 a year. Holy shit. You know, five, six, seven years later, you're making a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it varies, you know. Yeah. Um, but on, and the cost you know, of living the out there is that side, is it pretty? It's fucking New Mexico, yeah, man. It costs cheap. like six cents a day. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're Kalen, he has a nonprofit farm. Well, that's true. <laughs> that is true. You got to pay to play with the pigs. That's nuts, man. I I knew oil paid good. I didn't realize it was that far. I might be moving out to New Mexico right? here pretty quick. You know, a lot of people get into it, and that's it's very attractive. I mean, it is hard work. It's outdoors, so you may be out in the blistering hot sun or the freezing cold, but um, you're doing stuff all day. You're not sitting behind a desk. You get yeah. a company vehicle to drive out in the woods. You look at a herd of elk on your way to this well, and you see a herd of deer on your way to this well, and a badger runs across. I mean, I... I pick up bull snakes and jack with them when they're out in the road like just wildlife yeah yeah that's awesome so fucking awesome so are you generally with someone else i mean these seem like pretty remote locations are you with anybody or are you doing a lot of solo work 99 percent you're i mean there's always a guy just you know maybe five miles down the road or 10 miles up the road a lot of people out there but no you're by yourself it's just you and your truck and your thoughts you know wow yeah, you're, you're a lot of swiping bitches. A whole you know? lot of masturbating going on in New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, everybody goes home with a smile. That's sure. right. One of the happiest industries because no they internet. actually they actually <laughs> supply the lubricant at your job. Yeah. 
Yeah, the oil's right there on location. Got the KY on location. <laughs> Fucking A. Grease guns in the bed of the truck. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. So how much are you able to do when you show up to a well? I mean, I'm assuming in a company truck, you're not going to have a ton of parts and everything. It, are you generally more on the diagnosing side and then and then you kind of go from there? If it's not a quick fix, you make the on call on what you around, need to you do. You get a materialist and you come back the next week or next day. Uh, not, not the next week and, and kind of both, like it would actually blow you away at how outfitted our trucks are. I mean, really? we've got toolboxes piled on top of toolboxes, um, with tanks, with antifreeze oil. Like we're, we're pretty rigged up. We've got a lot of, a lot of spare parts. We're, we're kind of a rolling, a rolling shop. You know, you got all your tools and all the parts that, that you'd use on a daily basis and everything starts out as a diagnosis. You don't know the problem. You can mm-hmm. see on your computer that there is a problem you go to that well and it could be one of you know 500 different things you you diagnose it sometimes it's a quick easy fix sometimes it's something that's going to take you half the day to fix sometimes it's something that's going to take you and you call a couple buddies a couple co-workers like hey come give me a hand this is this is pretty big shit yeah and then other times it's a big enough problem yeah you call the next guy and a lot of times that's what i do they call me and it's like all right well here's what's going on and I'm like, all right, you know, we can handle this. Let's just let's just bust our ass and do it. Or it's like, yeah, let's call a third party contractor that specializes <laughs> right. in this, that has the right tools. We're not the out week. there beating it with a sledgehammer. They've got, you know, the whatever the proper tools for the job. Yeah. So, so it's, it varies from you might have, you'd fix it with a crescent wrench in five minutes to call in a third party company that, yeah, it might take them a day or two to, to get it fixed. And then when you have downhole problems, when there's a, a problem downhole in the well, that's when the rigs get involved and, and yeah, a rig doesn't happen overnight. You know, they're scheduled out for, yep. for quite a while. So it might be six months to a year before that one's that, back on that far out. No shit. Not all the time, but a lot of times when I we mean, see we, our gas we, prices go fucking skyrocketing. Exactly. Can't we need to have problem. a word, Kalen. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's about economics, you know, so it's like, all right, rigs are expensive. Let's just hypothetically, just for sake of conversation, say it's going to cost a rig. It's going to cost us $100,000 to have this rig fix this problem. And if they fix the problem, we're only going to get our return is only like this much gas, which is a small amount. Mm-hmm. Not worth it. Let's just leave it broke and kind of let it limp the rest of its life. Gotcha. So to speak. Gotcha. So how many so, wells are you responsible for? So our company is broke out by area and my area that i'm in is um most of them are anywhere from like 800 to a thousand wells and each so my area has 800 wells each operator is is responsible for his run which is usually about 80 to 90 wells and he takes care of those same 80 to 90 wells every day dang and so i go ahead i oversee the whole area which is, you know, 800 wells. So I deal with everybody's problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so how often as an operator, are you going to visit? If everything's going well, do you kind of have a routine that you just periodically go through and check, or are you really only going out to the wells that have issues? No. So it gets routine. Like just, let's say on a Monday you want to, cause these wells are producing at night when nobody's out there. These wells are producing over the weekends when there's not, you know, when you're mm-hmm. not out there. So they're still making those tanks, oil tanks and the water tanks are still slowly filling up. So what a lot of guys do is on Mondays, they'll, they'll run through and just and hit and drive to every location. They'll hit all 80 wells on their run that day, just checking their fluid. And you know, if this tank's full, they write it down, they call the trucking company to come haul it off. 
So they're just kind of seeing there every well Monday, making sure nothing's leaking, running out on the ground. Before we well, go any further. Now, where are the gas stations at? For you? Yeah. <laughs> what, what kind of area are we talking? Because in my mind, this is something where if you got 80 wells, it's going to take you two and a half weeks to visit every well. No, the runs are pretty condensed. So it's pretty, I mean, it is really condensed. You might, you'll have 80, 80 wells within a oh, five mile square. Oh, oh right. so that's way, way yeah. smaller than I thought. I was thinking, I was thinking like the size of like, you know, Detroit. Yeah, or I, was, I was thinking you're driving 10, 15 minutes between wells, yeah. but you're really, you're really able to hit these quick. Yeah, absolutely. Just like you've seen from the airplane, like all those little dots that are just like pimples and uh, they're, they're really close. I mean, some whales are within rock throwing distance from the other and gotcha. a lot of whales you can, you can see the other whale that's just, you know, right. eighth of a mile down the road. They're, they're packed in pretty tight. Yeah. Incredible. And so, uh, so from there, after you do your weekly checks, then you're kind of going into maintenance mode and you're only visiting the ones that are, that are having issues or actively throwing a code of some sort. Yeah, yep, exactly. Absolutely. So the rest of the week is, you know, one day you might have four or five wells down. And when you get to the first one, that might be a five minute fix. You get to the next one. That's a two hour fix. Get to the next one. It's a 10 minute fix. And, you know, by the end of the day, your, your goal was to hit all those wells that are down get them back to producing um that's kind of what you do every day and there's a hundred i mean there's a ton of things that can go wrong on a lot of moving parts a lot of yeah. equipment um so it it keeps it it breaks up the monotony i mean you you never know what you're gonna get, get yourself into, into yeah get when you start your day yeah yeah so how often are you coming home from the job site clean? Because it sounds like when things break out there, <laughs> it's, it's going to be dirty and messy and oily. and That's the life you live. I mean, everything out there is dirty and messy and greasy. And, and you know, it's, it's big equipment. You're not sitting on a bucket uh, doing brake pads, so to speak. You're, you're, you're leaning over a vessel and, that's, yeah. that's all gunky and yucky and then you're working on it because everything's, you know, either overhead or under something. You're, you're always in a predicament. You're either laying on your back, working on something or laid over the top of something else. So yeah, it, uh, it varies. Like today it was pretty mild day, you know, and I didn't get real dirty and other days I'll come home just covered. <laughs> so you mentioned that there are a number of pumps employed to get the, the product out of the ground. Do you guys have to kind of know how to work on all of those or when it gets to that level, is that when you're calling in a third party that specializes in pump jack repair or whatever? Yeah, no, I mean, it's the learning curve is huge. There's a lot to learn. Um, so, I mean, I've been doing this, I've been with this company for 17 years and I, I still figure out something new every day. Yeah. Um, because there is so much stuff. You got the different types of pumps to get it out of the ground and then you got the, um, different problems where you can identify different problems. If the well, if the fluid production drops, what do you do about it? Well, that's just experience and asking like, okay, my fluid production dropped off. What, what do we the do? Hell do, I I do? Yeah. And I mean, then the compressor's not running right. What do you do to fix that? There's a lot of things, um, to work on. There's different controllers, automation. So a lot of our wells are automated. So now it's getting into, you know, you have a laptop in your truck and, and you have to learn all the, the computer science behind the controller that, that monitors and operates the well. Wow. And that it's a I2P. So it's like, uh, what is it? Some electrical to pressure type deal, you know, and 
it's a 12 volt electrical deal that will open or close and send pneumatic, you know, gas or air to, to operate the valves, to tell them open or close. Mm -hmm. And that controller is monitoring flow rates. It's like, okay, my flow rates dropping. It's time to shut in and build pressure. Okay. We've built enough pressure. Now it's time to turn on. So the controller has a brain that's, that's doing all that. Well, so then now you have the computer side of it. You got to troubleshoot. Why the heck is this uh, controller not turning on or off? Yeah, so it's everything from electrical to this is pretty sophisticated. Swing a sledgehammer. Yeah, that's that's a, crazy. What you're responsible for? Oh, these guys. I mean, they're responsible for so much. I mean, one location's worth millions of dollars, and you know, and you're the one out there swinging the sledgehammer or or turning the <laughs> screwdriver yeah. or tweaking the. Um, and if you do something wrong, you're going to cost somebody some fucking money. Well, that's what I was about to ask oh, is absolutely. as being one of the frontline guys, do you have any tangible feel for what the value of the product is coming out of an individual well? Or are those numbers kind of just so far above you, you just know it's got to pump? No, what's really cool is the company I work for is very transparent on all that. And, of course, then you get on the Henry Hub and you can see what natural gas prices are that day. Mm. So you can see, all right, well, natural gas is $6 in MCF today. And so right away, you know, like, what gas prices are doing. So we stay really in the loop on yeah. the, what's going on, on gas prices and oil prices because it does change. I mean, when gas prices tank and, you know, the rest of the world loves it when gasoline is a dollar fifty at the pump, but we we really struggle. The oil and gas industry suffers, you know, because now now you're not making as much money if this well takes a hundred thousand dollars to fix. Yeah, at the it's gas not price, worth it's it at the low price. Economy. Interesting. Yeah, never looked at it that way. So, are are you able to share roughly what what an, a well will output in a day? Just kind of a ballpark. Yeah, it varies. I mean, we just, the company I work for owns 15,000 wells. So, I mean, that number ranges from one MCF to a million MCF. So, a well that's making, to put it in perspective, if natural gas, um, and the way it's kind of worded and coded, it's a million cubic foot of gas. So, All right. we call it a million, but it's actually a thousand. So, a well that's making a thousand MCF a day at $6 an MCF, that well is making six grand a day, $6,000 a day. And let's say it makes a barrel of oil a day and a barrel of oil is 90 bucks. Well, it's making on oil, it's making $90 a day. So that well is making $6,090 a day. Gotcha. Hmm. Interesting. Times 365 days. Yeah. Yeah. Times however many wells you got with the varying wow. amounts. Like So much money. Yeah. It is an insane amount of money that goes into it. That's on the high end. I mean, we have way less wells that make a thousand MCF. Mm -hmm. Most of them are, you know, on average between 30 MCF and a hundred MCF a day. So your average wells making at $6 gas is making $600 a day. That's crazy. So that's really crazy to me because I guess we're so used to the scale side of it that, that to really for lack of a better term, drill down. Yeah, drill I get your dad yeah. joke there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to drill down into that, like to have a well that you know whatever company has invested hundreds of thousands of dollars to go and drill, and it's only going to produce $600 a day, but yet somehow someone did the math 
that it will work and that, on that. Yeah, economics of scale, that is 100% worth putting that. Or that, that well is a write-off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but that's nuts to me that they've done the math to go, no, no, no. It's going to take 15 years, but this will absolutely pay for itself and then then be a in the black producing well. That's a, you're, you're hitting it on the head. I mean, that's exactly right. So that's it takes, crazy. You know, $4 million to, to drill a well. Well, at $600 a day, how long does it take to pay out that $4 million investment? I mean, it's not years. good math if you were talking about being a car salesman or something like, you know, uh, whatever it's. And then, of course, it's on a bigger scale because yeah, you don't just sure. have one well. You sure. have thousands of wells making $600 a day, but there's a lot of money goes into it. So on that public land, the government gets a big percentage of because mm-hmm. the government owns the, the mineral the property, rights and the yeah. surface. So so we go in with the, the investment money and, and they sit back and just rake in the cash because they got $0 invested. They're just taking their cut sure. off the percentage of their ownership in the minerals. And then, you know, you got to pay people, you got to buy trucks, you got to pay taxes, you got to pay the, the midstream guys, you know, you got to pay to put it in the pipeline. They're not going to go lay a pipeline for you for free. Yep. So you got to pay a fee to, to put the gas in the pipeline. You got to pay the trucks to haul the oil. They're not going to do it for free. So off of $6 and one MCF, you might profit $1, All you right. know. Wow, that is nutty. And a lot then, of hands in the basket. Well, not only that, it also occurs to me those those wells that he was talking about that you might limp them through for the rest of their life. But at the same time, with with the fluctuating prices of oil and gas, in in five or ten years, gas prices may have gone up to the point where someone goes, "Hey, hey, hey, that well that wasn't worth fucking with later." Like it's absolutely worth it's economically worth it yeah. now to go back and fix that so that we get go back up to full production. Yep. Absolutely. And these whales get bought and sold all the time. I mean, companies just since I've been here, the names on the door of my truck has changed three times. Wow. Really? You know, buyouts and, and different stuff. So as these fields deplete, these big producers with big capital budgets are like, now nah, we're going to, we're just going to go drill a bunch of whales in North Dakota and make a quick trillion dollars or whatever. Yeah. And so they'll sell off these, these whales that have been around for a long time that are you know, you got to be a low cost producer to, to make money at it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, a lot of the big name companies that everybody knows, you know, their break even point might be $3 an MCF to where, where the company I work for, you know, the, we, we really rein in our costs and our spending and, and we can still break even at a dollar fifty because we don't have as much overhead. Yep. We don't have, you know, we're not the big, the big shiny, um, object you know yep i'd imagine too it's kind of you know to compare it to an industry i know to an extent it's kind of like buying a piece of used equipment you still got usable life in the well to produce money but because the 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 primary driller has already made what they want to off the well they're not going to sell it to you for the four million dollars it costs they may sell it to you for 150 grand or whatever and so now your company comes in and that's how you're able to get that that cost down to where you are able to be profitable at a dollar fifty instead of six dollars. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. This is freaking this it's is nuts. awesome. Like I feel like the first half of this podcast was kind of like, okay, this is interesting, but now I'm like, holy shit, this it's is super, fascinating. Yeah, super fascinating. <laughs> like, this is really starting to get into the nuts and bolts of how this yeah. works and it's blowing my mind. So yeah, how many more years you got in in it? You're gonna do a thirty and out or 
You know, it's, I mean, that's such a long time down the road, I guess. I mean, if 401k is kicking booty by the time I'm 55 and I can go, then yes, yeah. sayonara. But uh, if it's like, well, you know, if you do another five years, you'll double your, or, you know. Your it's, retirement, yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to say. I've seen guys that have done both. I mean, my wife's dad was in oil, oil and gas for 35 years, and he did really well. He he put a lot into his retirement. So he was able to to retire at a young age of 55 and still young and healthy. He's Good old Gary. Still hot and, and loving life. And other guys are like, man, you know, my – my wife's got cancer, whatever it is in life that throws a curveball at you. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're 65 years old, still out there climbing tanks, engaging them, and probably hating life. <laughs> right. <laughs> so now you've got my mind all spooled up. When you Bring guys sell your product, are you selling to a Shell or a Chevron, or are those just kind of the big guys that everyone knows about in the industry and, and they're not actually the, the people who are buying product out of the field. So it goes, there's like a bunch of like brokers. Our product is sold to, so we got upstream. That's what I do midstream. And then downstream is where we sell. So it's like the custody transfers when the, when the product leaves location, mm -hmm. it's measured. That's when, that's what we get paid off of. So at that point it goes down the pipeline and it goes out on a truck and then from there, you know, we've already, we've already took our pay. It's out of our hands. We've yep. sold it, but from there it goes. So like the liquids will go to the, the gas refineries and they'll, they'll take our, the crude oil that they just bought and, uh, they'll refine it into gasoline. Well, then from there, it's just all the gas stations, you know, whatever. Yep. I don't know exactly how it works, but when the gas station manager says, all right, well, our diesel tanks getting low, let's call marathon or whoever the oil company is mm -hmm. that find the gas like hey i need i need my diesel tank full or you know filled so the gas stations are pretty much buying them from refineries now that does get kind of weird that i don't understand all of it because you know the company conoco phillips you also see conoco gas stations so are they buying their own product right it keep it in house know. Well, yeah. and then you get into the complexities that I just learned about on my trip out to Chevron. You start getting into the fuel additives and everything, and, and you've got companies that do additives that, that don't actually own oil gas product. But then there's other, like Chevron actually has an additive company that is part of Chevron hmm. that also... A lot of them have done that. Yeah, they yeah. have sister companies and... It's, um, this industry is... The more I learn about it, the more it's just like... This Very is complex. a whole world I Very didn't know complex. anything about. This is fascinating. Yeah. It's huge. It's worldwide. It's huge. There's a lot of companies that, because it does, I mean, to to drill a well, produce it, sell the gas, refine it with, you know, and it takes chemicals to, to do all that, refine it, get it into the gas station and get it from the ground to your car takes so many steps and people and processes and companies and different you know from the drilling rigs to to the pipeline guy i mean it's just there's a ton that a lot most people don't realize what go no what goes into it from step one from the time you drill it to complete it you know that's the fracking and all that to running your your production strings in the well to building the facilities to get the well online and start producing and then from there like i said when it goes and gets stripped for your natural gas, which burns in your house, or propane, which cooks your steaks, 
from one step to the very end, that's it's incredible. And that's what employs a ton of people. Oh, There's thousands, a lot of thousands made a of, lot people. of money. Well, yeah. And that's what kind of, again, just when you really think about the scale of this thing, another aspect that blows my mind is, you know, as much as we sit here and bitch at the price of gas, like think about the miracle that it is that that many people, that many processes, that many, that, that much infrastructure has been used Gone into just to get to, to your- produce your gallon of gasoline and you're getting it for $4 a gallon. Yeah. Like, holy shit, that should be, you know, a yeah. hundred dollars a gallon if you really, but it's, it's just the sheer a, quantity, level, yeah. the economics of scale that's able to get that as low as it is. That's, that is insanity yeah. to me. It, it really is. I mean, you know, when we sell it as crude, like this isn't exact price. So I hope somebody don't, you know, he said it was a dollar, but it's, yeah. <laughs> so when we sell crude oil, we might, you know, sell it at uh, $10 a barrel, whatever it is. And, you know, by the time it gets trucked and refined and hits the gas pump, I mean, it took so much and so much manpower and facilities and chemicals and the whole refining process. That's, that's why it's four dollars at the pump. Correct. Yeah. Per gallon. Yeah. When they're buying it at, you know, thirty dollars per barrel. You know, and a barrel is forty-four gallons of you know of product. Yeah. Well, you look like when uh you know Houston or wasn't Houston that froze? Yep, Houston. Yep. And they were down for what a month? Yeah. You know, all and you got multiple break. refineries. So, yeah, and, it, yeah. it went downhill, and everyone's like, "Oh, yeah. that's just a uh, you know smoke in the mirrors, you know, to make it look like that's why the gas." It's like, well, no, it costs and operates. You know, it went down. Well, so <laughs> that's a whole other aspect of this is, uh, it is bureaucratically impossible to build another refinery in the U.S. And so yeah. the oil and gas companies, their only option is to either expand in the, within their footprint, yep. which a lot of them are already to or the point where they, out, they yeah. can't, or you have to improve your processes and improve your technology to where you can do more in a small footprint. Yep. And that's essentially and that's what's very, happened. Yeah. That's very heavily regulated too. I mean, yeah. the government rightfully so they'll only let you expand so far in your footprint. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't legally drill a well 10 feet from the next one. You know, there's, there is spacing rules, so you can only expand so much. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I, and I guess that's why horizontal drilling was such a game changer for the industry. Absolutely. You can do 10 wells out of one wellhead. Yep. Technically you're not expanding you outside well. of your footprint. Exactly. Yeah, you're. Yeah, I think you, I think you studied before I got on the phone. Cause you're hitting <laughs> right? it right off. He man. did. He did just that. You know what it, it really boils down to is I'm just a giant nerd. And when it comes to this stuff, my mind just spools up and I'm like, holy, it's all, all the dots are connecting yeah. now. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is awesome. We just got schooled by Kalen. Dude, Kalen, this is, this is badass, man. I appreciate all the information. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Shoot shit with you guys anytime, man. We, so do you guys pass. do, uh, do you, do you do field tours? Yeah. <laughs> Because I think next year, if we uh, if the, everything goes in the right direction, we'll be doing some uh, hopping on planes, coming to visit, and do uh, in person, you know, live podcast, live podcast. Yeah, heck yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, bring it on. You know, we can get that set up to do that and get a nice little uh, mule deer elk hunt in. You know, yeah, and yeah, then, throw might as well throw one of those in while you're out here. Fuck yeah, maybe maybe light a couple flares off. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because we have a refinery and in, uh, in between two of the towns right here where I'm at, and 
Well, that's, that's actually not a refinery. It's a, a gas plant and they have a big flare. Most time it's just a big stick in the air. That's not doing anything. Well, yeah. Every once in a while, kapoof, it throws a hundred foot flame. Everybody's just like, Oh man, it's so cool. I'm like, yeah, that thing only goes off when there's problems. When there's an issue. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to yeah, ask that on the flares, yeah, either on the rigs or on the, on the refineries, what is the purpose of that flare? Why would they not capture that gas? Several reasons. So a lot of it's, uh, there's, yeah. Okay. So there's several reasons. Sometimes you have a, a relief, you know, relief valves in place to where when there is a problem, it goes, it can relieve the pressure instead of blowing up. Blowing stuff up. Yeah. yeah. It can go to atmosphere. Well, the, the greenhouse gases and, you know, we're the horrible oil field and we're yep. polluting the environment. Raw gas in the atmosphere is much more harmful than burnt gas. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's, um, so you do lot. the friendly thing and you provide the neighborhood with a giant tiki torch. Yeah, exactly. So we burn it rather than just letting, you know, uh, flammable gas just float through the atmosphere and for people to breathe and the birds that whatever, yep. um, we burn it that way. It's, it's a lot cleaner than, uh, it's a lot less harmful to the environment. Yeah, Cause there's right in burnt. right down like the next town over from us. There's an old garbage pit, but there's a uh, natural gas refinery there, and they just have a for years. It's you know, constantly going, it's constantly just blowing. You know, it's probably like a twenty foot, you know, blue flame every day, all day. It's nuts. And that that could be like a pilot. You know, it has to stay lit to in case a relief valve goes off. It, right, it to the burn. flames already there to gotcha. ignite it. All right. So in refineries, you know, all your all it's your not a refinery. Pipes. I think it's just like a pump station or something like that or a holding cell. But so what happens? You know what? That probably is. I don't know. I'm not there, but oil tanks, you know, have a lot of fumes. And in the heat of the day, that oil builds pressure. The fumes, yeah, it it's like your gas can. If you yeah, leave a gas yeah. can out in the sun, it's yep. swollen by the end of the summer day. So that relieves that. Well, now you just have oil. It's gasoline fumes going into the atmosphere. So they, they capture that, run it through a pipe over to the flare. Well, that flare is burning off the fumes rather than raw fumes just gotcha. going into the atmosphere. Interesting. And so on the rig, you mentioned you see the flares on the drilling rigs. Yep. So the facilities aren't in place yet to dispose to of the it. Gas. There's no pipeline. They're not tight. They're not tapped into the infrastructure. So yet. they're pretty much just so just their only option is to vent it, it off. Tight. Yeah. Yeah. So while they're drilling, you're having natural gas. I mean, you're drilling through multiple formations that that gas is coming to see you it's coming to surface anything in a pressurized system is going to go to the point of least resistance yeah. and that's out the top you know so so they the infrastructure is not there you can't put it in the pipeline yet a lot there's a lot of oxygen mixed in with it you can't put oxygen in the the gas pipelines that's a big no-no so you have no well, choice. Well, I wonder why that is. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what would happen if you did that? I, I believe that's one of the three parts of the fire triangle. Yes, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you have that. You have uh, when the when it goes into the pipeline, the meter, the, the midstream company's buying it. They don't want to buy air. And believe it or not, oxygen is very corrosive. Really? Yeah. So you have a metal pipe in the ground and you have hydrocarbons flowing through it. And it's almost like a beef turkey, you know, uh, freezer dried, what do you call a vacuum sealed packaging on, mm-hmm. you know, with, with no air, it'll, your shelf life is a lot longer than if yeah. it's sat out on your shelf. So yeah, oxygen is very corrosive to metal. Interesting. You've got water going through there and, and all that. So it, uh, breaks down, it corrodes a lot. So oxygen bad. <laughs> yeah. 
but it's and so good for us it is very here. good yeah so you're when you're talking about this natural gas being wet like it's legit wet to the point that you've got water condensing on the inside of those pipelines it, it condenses exactly right so the temperature change so gas starts really hot you know at 8,000 foot in the earth, you're at, you know, say whatever, 220 degrees. No shit. And yeah, and it's, you know, it's above boiling point, but if you send a camera down there, you're not boiling because it's under pressure. It's the same concept as a pressure cooker. Well, it's kind you of like your radiator on your car. Like yep. When you're burning, like if I, in my cabin, you know, we used to have just a buddy heater, you know, which was invented. So you wake up in the morning, you know, it's cl- venting clean, but it, all the water, mo- the, the moisture from right. the water content or water column yeah. is that like my vapor. windows would have yeah, yeah water vapor whatever uh it would have dew all over and yeah creates mold inside yep. so, so that's liquids, now i have a direct vent you know the, the liquids fall out of the yeah. gas stream based on temperatures and uh pressure drops so so by the time you hit the surface at a hot summer day it's 100 degrees and that hot metal pipe is super hot and the gas is super cold well, now you've created a, a temperature change, so yeah, some kind of chemical imbalance yeah. it starts condensating yep. inside of the the pipe, and then pressure drops too. You know, you go from two hundred pounds down to a hundred pounds. That's a pressure drop, which certain liquids will fall out yep. during that also. So we have to do what's called pigging. So over days and that's weeks, what you did earlier today. A, pigging, yeah, well, that's, that's a different kind <laughs> of pigging. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll you'll condensate so bad inside those pipelines that it actually builds up in the bottom of the pipeline and creates a restriction so they take what we call a pig and there's different shapes and sizes but just picture it as a big rubber ball it's a big you know, butt plug is what yeah. it is that's exactly right you put the big rubber <laughs> butt plug in there you pressure up behind it and you shoot it down the pipeline well it creates a seal inside of that pipe it's the same Diameter. It's basically a giant squeegee. Yeah, it's a big giant squeegee that sweeps all the liquid down the line, and then the third-party companies collect the liquids, and and those liquids that fall out in there is condensation. We call it condensate, and it's really very fam- flammable liquid, so it also gets refined into <sighs> gasoline. I, you know, that was another thing when I was talking with the people out of Chevron last week, as I was getting the other side of the education. Oh, well, yeah. Um. I was asking, like, at the end of the day, how much of the oil products do we yeah, use? Gasoline, how much? How, yeah. Well, no, not even gasoline, but oh. because you're you're talking, you're getting diesel, kerosene. Uh, you've got airline fuel. You've got all of your actual oil products for your car. You've got, and then you have the 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 waste stuff. You get into bunker fuel. You get into the the stuff that we use for plastics. I said, mm-hmm. how much of that product are we using out of the ground? And he said, there's almost zero waste. Wow. It's we, like, we use it all. It is nutty. But yeah. but I guess at the same time, if you're paying that much for a product coming out of the ground, better you better figure out how to utilize every little aspect of it. Yeah, and people don't buy cigarette lighter fluid by the 20 gallons a day. So nobody bitches that it costs, you know, Fifteen dollars for a little jug of cigarette right? lighter fluid, yeah. to Zippo. But um, <laughs> never thought about that. I mean, all that stuff comes out of that, and it's it's pretty incredible at the, how people have learned at different temperatures fall out the different fuels. Yeah, and it's pretty pretty incredible process. That and is that's, incredible. That's just scratching the surface. It gets yeah. so much more in depth than that. I mean, I'm this is from thirty thousand feet. You know, yeah. high level. Well, on the next time we have you on, we'll come down to 10,000 feet. Yeah, absolutely. We're really going to drill <laughs> we'll down really next time. We'll really get into it. 
<laughs> yeah, then you're gonna start asking me stuff I can't answer the question to. Oh no, you can't answer. You know what? Hook us up with one of your petroleum engineer buddies. You know yeah. what? I have a petroleum engineer buddy that now that I think about it. Dude, I've got some good ones. There's a couple of them dudes that are great, good fin- friends of mine, smart, educated. I mean, they can geek out with you as as much as you want. Dude, yeah, we dude. should absolutely get you on with one of those guys and have a full on nerd out session because I am all about this shit. And I'll oh, sit here and yeah. learn about how to nerd out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, fascinating. Cool. Yeah, yeah, man, it's, it's been cool. great to have you on and talk and chat about shop. But uh, For sure. before we take off, we got one question that we got to leave you off with. All right. If you could do anything, change anything, what would your dream job be? You know, I've always wanted to be a cop since I was a little bitty kid. I just thought, you know, you see a cop in uniform. I'm like, man, that's, that's Superman right there. That's the yeah. coolest dude. He's got all these cool gadgets and he's got a gun and people respect him. I don't, I've got the cool cop car with the sirens and the lights. So as a kid, I always had little toy cop cars and it's kind of like the nerdy version of Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a cousin that was a police officer in, in Texas, I think Tyler, Texas. And I just, I uh, man, I idolized him, you know, and, that's I, cool. I still you go think be a cop. If, uh, if the oil field shit can me tomorrow, I'd go sign up uh, for the, the police academy. No shit. Yeah. Interesting. I, it's weird, you know. I don't know why. I'm just always. You're the first person out of all of our what seventy plus guests that said they really? wouldn't be a police officer. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true. And I don't know what it is. It's not like I grew up around. My dad wasn't a cop. My brother's not a cop. I have no cop family other than my you know living in New Mexico. I had a cop cousin in Tyler, Texas. Yeah. I really wasn't exposed. Like I had. I don't know why. That's just always oh, your hero. Yeah, I see a cop pulling somebody over. I'm like, man, you just how get much all giddy. Tell him to slow his ass down. <laughs> That's awesome, brother. Well, Kalen, thanks a lot for being on tonight. We appreciate it, man. This has been really, really good conversation. Yeah, thank you guys. And anytime you wanna wanna have me back, we'll we'll cuss and discuss some more. Absolutely, yeah, brother. Appreciate it. Just don't get too excitable with the pigs out there, and we'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we want to hear if uh, you you actually you know successfully. That's right. We need we need a twenty day report. Damn it, twenty one yeah, well, Twenty one day report. Sorry. Twenty one day. <laughs> yeah, twenty one days. And you know what's weird about pigs? Not to keep you on long. Oh, you're, you're, you're good. Wrong. You're They're good. Pregnant for exactly three weeks. No, three months, three weeks, and three days. Really? Yep. Three months, three weeks, and three days. Dude, it's those sweet nuggets of wisdom you find on this show. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking A, man. Thank you for that, Jalen. This has been great. And thank you guys all for listening, as always. Uh, Be sure to check us out all over online. Uh, Especially, you know, I keep keep saying I'm not even going to plug anymore. Swagandgrime.com is coming. Yeah, I was going to say, do we have our website? It's been been so freaking nutty from the work standpoint. I haven't even had a chance to dive into it. But we will have that coming this winter. We'll just put it as coming this winter. But check us out all over. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week on Sweat and Grime, baby. Peace, y'all. Thank you.